0: Welcome to the podcast where we answer the question, that's healthy? This is your host, Hope Brandt. Social media has really done a doozy on our perception of health and wellness, and I want to help set the record straight. Quick fixes and fad diets, unachievable beauty standards, extreme fitness challenges that leave you more broken than when you started. I'll pass. Taking ownership of your choices, treating your body and mind with respect. Filling your life with things and people that lift you up instead of tear you down. Yeah, that's healthy. And that's exactly what you'll find here. Let's start the show. Okay, Jordan, I'm so happy to have you here. Um, I am a longtime followers of yours on social media, and I just could not resonate more with the content that you put out and the mindset that you have around sustainability um, and achievability and fitness, nutrition, you name it. So um, I'm super happy to have you on the show. Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the kind words. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah. Um, So if you would, if listeners aren't aware of who you are and what you do, can you give me your elevator sales pitch of uh, how you got started, what you do now, and what kind of your mission is?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I'll start by saying I am not good at elevator pitches at all. No.
0: <laughs> or be as wordy as you want. I'm mean, here for all of it. <laughs>
1: um. So, I mean, I'm a short, bald, nerdy Jewish guy. I like to, you know, lift weights. And, and really, I, I like to help people figure out a way to include fitness as part of their life, not their whole life. Trying to figure out how they can get healthier, live longer, be stronger, happier, all of that without fitness taking over every waking moment. So I got involved in fitness from a very young age. I started wrestling when I was like eight years old and I, you know, come from a very short family and you know, I'm, I'm only five foot four. And so my, uh, my mom, I remember I have an older brother. He's like three, three years older than me. And she walked into the living room when I was eight. So he was around 11 and, and that she was worried about us, you know, getting bullied, you know, short, short Jewish kids at school. So, and not very like a Jewish community. So She was like, I want you to be able to defend yourself. So I'm putting you two in, uh, in wrestling. And the only wrestling that I knew at that time was WWF style wrestling. So I remember (laughs) looking at her and being like, you want me to hit someone with a chair? Like, no, you idiot. Like Olympic style wrestling, which I still had no idea what that was, but I was like, okay, cool. And, um, and I was terrible in school. I I was like, I'm the black sheep in my family in terms of academics were always very difficult for me. Test taking. I was on. I was in special education and had IEPs and all that stuff. And, um, I was never good in school, but athletics I was, I was very good at. Um, and so I started wrestling at eight and I fell in love with it and I was fortunately pretty good at it. And so by the time I made, I got to high school, I made varsity as a freshman. So I beat a junior out for the varsity spot. Um, and I was good from a technique and endurance perspective, but from a strength perspective, I was 14 going up against mainly 16, 17, 18 year olds. And there's a big strength discrepancy there. so. For sure, I, I was also cutting a lot of weight. I was cutting from like 112 pounds to 103 pounds every single week, um, and so I found a gym a couple towns over from me. I, I grew up outside Boston, Massachusetts, and it, it was like a, a a private gym. It wasn't like a, a Gold's Gym or an LA Fitness, which there's nothing wrong with those, but this is a privately owned gym. Mm-hmm. And I just I reached out and I said, "Listen, I'll take the trash out. I'll clean the floors. I'll do whatever you need me to do." Just like I want to come and learn from you. And, and I was very fortunate because. Number one, they took me under their wing. They let me come in and I I worked there all the way through high school from 14 to 18. And number two is they were very science-based. It was a very science-based gym. And um, so from 14 years old, I got thrust into the science-based fitness community and I didn't really waste much time on a lot of the nonsense and bullshit that people go through and the magazines and the fads. Like I got really, I got thrust right into a very science-based fitness community and I've been doing it since I was 14. I'm 31 now. I never had another job.
0: Yeah. Well, that's amazing. What a blessing to find that specific gym that you said was very science-based because a lot of environments like that don't exist. And honestly, I feel like we've seen a a big increase in science-based information, especially in gyms and in those settings. But back then, I mean, it was very Very. bro-science-y and especially with wrestling where it's a sport where you have to make weight. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of detrimental habits can be formed if you're not getting good information on how to do that.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I developed severe binge eating issues. I had anorexia, bulimia a little bit. Like I I really struggled as a result of it. I
0: had no idea that that was a part of your history. Not oh, that, yeah. I mean, I would have any reason to know that. It's funny that you think, <laughs> you know, you have this false perception of how you know someone based on how you see them on social media. And yeah. then, I mean,
1: I've, I've made a number of YouTube videos about it and podcasts about it. It's not something I talk about every day. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't had any issues. Thank God for over 10 years now, but from like 14 to about 21, 22, I was severely struggling with disordered eating habits and, and like real. And I think that's part of where my teaching philosophy has come from is going through a lot of that going through a lot of those struggles is like, I think I have much more empathy towards it than a lot of coaches who haven't gone through it will have. So, you know, going sure. through the, the real, real struggles with, with it's, I, the big thing for me was the binge eating. Like that was the thing I struggled with most, but even, you know, like I would not eat for days, sometimes over a week at a time in order to make weight. Like it was, yeah, and this yeah. is something that in the, the combat world, like the fighting world, it's 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 male dominated for sure there are like more women coming out as fighters and, and like the <laughs> fighting community is accepting them and, and you know they have probably even more struggles with it especially weigh-ins around their menstrual cycle are pretty fucking intense but the fighting community is interesting because it is male dominated and it's like fighter like literal fighters and it's like the most like ma- manly men you could ever imagine right <laughs> but like, you wouldn't believe how many of like, even like professional fighters who are like the most savage killers in the world will message me being like, I'm struggling with binge eating. I'm struggling with, anore- like, I'm str- like the people who you'd look at and think that person is just so savage and like, they they, they don't struggle with the things that I'm struggling with. It's like, mm-hmm. we're all human. And I think a lot of this stuff is much more common than people realize.
0: Yeah. Well, and I love how you're kind of talking about uh, like misconceptions of that where someone might think only women struggle with that. And really these problems are more translatable than we think they are. We assume they are even to, to men who you think wouldn't struggle with stuff like this. So that's, you
1: know, it's really interesting. interesting. It's like, uh, so the majority of my clients are women and, and it it has been for the majority of my career. But from my experience, it's it's about like 50-50 in terms of like men and women struggling with it. Like I don't see more women struggling with than with men like from a percentage yeah. basis. What I found is women are more likely to bring it up. Women yeah, are more or likely- to ask for it
0: help. Up. Yes. Yeah. Exactly.
1: And it's been interesting. And I think we've seen that in culture in a very interesting way. The body positivity movement which I think there's some, some great aspects of it and some not great aspects of it, but that's really only applied to women from the perspective of, if we look on fitness magazines for women, we now see all different shapes and sizes and all of that. You don't see that in the men's magazine. It's all still the same fucking still
0: super tall, ripped dude. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and I think it's because women have been more vocal about it. Whereas like mm-hmm. men, if they say, Hey, like, but I'm not going to look like that. Or like, that's just not, that's not only health. They'll be called it, you know, pussy, whatever it is like immediately. So it's, it's been interesting to see that, that shift. I think it will come for men, but it's going to be later. I think it's going to take a little bit of time for, for the men to actually get vocal about it.
0: Yeah. Well, I agree. And I, one of the things that I love the most about how you present information is that you, are so in the middle and can see both sides of almost every single perspective. And it's so refreshing to have someone who's willing to consider both sides and be able to see and present the arguments of both sides and not be afraid of, you know, the extremists. that you're going to get from both sides calling you out for, you know, if you say you have a problem with some aspect of the body positivity movement, well then, Oh, you're a piece of shit. You don't care about women, (laughs) but you know, if you say that you do support it and you can see the benefit of having people accept who they are and be willing to change themselves from a place of respect and self-love, then it's like, Oh, you're condoning obesity. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's like there's no winning, but someone has to be there in the middle to take up that space because I truly think that that is what produces the most or or the highest chance for sustainable and positive change.
1: Yeah, I I appreciate the kind words. Thank you. It means a lot. I completely agree. It's it's what produces the best results and I also think the extremes are are louder. Right. Like the extremes are they always have the loudest voices. And realistically, if we're just looking at media nowadays and and social media specifically, but social media is the new media, it favors extremism. It mm-hmm. will it will proliferate the extremist black and white dogmatic statements because those are going to get the highest response, which means sure. that it's going to – more people will see that, whereas the middle of the road stuff, it doesn't get as much. It, it won't favor that, not because they're against middle of the road, but because basic human psychology 101, these clear black and white dogmatic statements are going to create more – support on one side and anger on the other. And you put that together, it's like a fucking hurricane. And like, that's (laughs) why, why things go viral. Um, Well,
0: for sure. For sure. Um, I have, I went to college originally to be a journalist. I wanted to be a broadcast journalist. And so I saw that a lot just literally learning and being taught how to, you know, like if it leads, it leads, if it's going to get a reaction, that's what you report and that's how you present it. And It was one of those things where it was like, man, I would like to do some good in the world. And this is not like how I see myself going about it. And so I was like, skirt (laughs) and went back to school to be a dietitian. But yeah, you're exactly right. And just how it is on, you know, with politics on TV and whatever else it's, we're made to feel like we're being pitted against each other and that there's nobody who's with you in the middle ground. And I think that's not the case, just because, just like you were saying, the people on either side are going to be the loudest and get the most exposure. But in reality, I think and I hope that there are a lot more people who can relate to being in that middle ground.
1: You know, I I really I think if you had asked me eight years ago before my social media really took off and all that, I probably would have given, I would have had a different thought process. And I said, no, like the middle of the road isn't going to like, it it doesn't work. But being able to see my growth and others similar who, who have similar outlooks and are more middle of the road and are not as black and white, seeing the growth of that and interacting with people in my DMS has completely changed my mind. Like I really think and, and not like to go into politics, like, I think we're going to see the fitness industry runs on a pendulum of extremes, right? It's like, it's either like, it's either going to kill you or it's going to save your life. It's either. yes.
0: I love fat. that you use the word pendulum. I want to, this is the exact thing I wanted to talk to you about. So I want to come back to that. We'll bookmark it. Okay. Like, but continue. <laughs> back
1: and, forth and like, you know, it's either going to kill you or it's going to save your life. It's going to burn fat or it's going to make you get fat politics, very similar pendulum of extremes. Like we see that we can even see that in like presidential elections back and forth, like Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Like we, this is all very obvious. And so it'll run on pendulums. I think what we're seeing now is, especially after the last few years, not just politically, but also in the fitness world is people are thirsty and craving just nuance. And they want to know, like they, they don't want to be as black and white. They don't want to just like, this is right. This is wrong. This is good. This is bad. This is healthy. This is unhealthy. Like, well, let's, let's learn the nuance of it. I think people now more than ever are really, really aware that they don't know a lot and they want to know more rather than just the headline. So I I think, I think really like now is the best time in history to be that middle of the road and to present people with a nuance. The issue with that is though, the catch 22 here is in order to present nuance, you have to be educated.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You have to know what you don't know also and be willing to admit that. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And and you have to spend a lot of time and you have to, oftentimes you have to go through periods of unbalance in order to be like, think, you know, all about this one thing. And then someone is like, well, actually maybe what about this? And you have to be open-minded enough to say, oh fuck. I was wrong and then be okay going back and forth. I think, I think for me, the best thing I've been able to do is, is I have no issue saying I'm wrong. Like I have no issue at all. If anything, I'm happy to say it selfishly because number one, I'm going to learn more from it. And number two is I know if I publicly say that I'm wrong, people trust me more immediately as soon as i publicly say hey i was wrong here people immediately trust you more it's not like i think 15 20 30 years ago where if you said you were wrong i think a lot of people would like like try and be mad at you and like look yeah. at it as a as a as a negative thing we could look at, like pr for for politicians like no don't admit you're wrong don't <laughs> admit you're wrong lawyers don't admit you're wrong it's like no no actually if you can say hey i made a mistake I think people look at you and say, well, now I can trust you because I know that you're going to do that again in the future. And that's what trust is built on.
0: Yeah. Well, and an aspect of that may be that people have more access to this type of information. And so with a better understanding of science is evolving, science changes, we get new information. (laughs) And so if you're not correcting something that you thought 10 years ago, then, like, you're living in the dark ages, like, you yeah. have to keep progressing, and chances are you did say something or you did believe something that turned out to be completely wrong. Not that it wasn't based in logic at the time, but that doesn't mean that that's actually how it works once Correct. we get new information. So, yeah, that can be to the
1: pendulum. Talked about the pendulum. I want to hear your thoughts on that.
0: Okay, okay. So, something that I talk to my clients about is the nutritional pendulum where we're swinging from super strict, way too restrictive. We have no enjoyment. It's not sustainable. Swinging to the fuck it side where we are doing whatever we want. We're not even considering nourishment at all. And so where we want to get to is our perfect balance point where we're straddling that line of being able to eat enjoyable and satisfying foods, but not overindulging too frequently. And so I've literally screenshotted a story that you had the other day where you were talking about it's hard to reach that balance point if you haven't been on both sides. Yes. And it's something that I've been like grappling with how to talk about, because I don't ever want to say like, you need to be way too strict or like you need to cut all these foods out of your diet or whatever. but if you haven't established those that regimen of knowing what that looks like, it's hard to backtrack to the point of balance. And so it's like you're not gonna know what balance feels like unless you've been on both sides of the equation. And with fitness, I've experienced the same thing where it's like, okay, I've worked out way too hard, way too long with way too much cardio, way too much high intensity. And now the workouts that I do, it feels so easy, but it's still effective and efficient. And it's like, but I wouldn't be able to be this consistent had I not gone through what I went through initially with doing way too much. And so it's like, I don't want to tell someone to do too much and then come back. But like, that's how I feel like it's, it feels more sustainable because you've been yeah. on those sides. So I just wanted to like, get your thoughts on, I, I on love that.
1: that. I love what you're saying. I completely agree. I think as coaches, uh, we become coaches oftentimes because we struggled with it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We had our own personal struggle through in whatever capacity that meant. Then we came to a better place and they're like, we want to help people through that struggle. Yeah, And yeah. in our mind, we don't want them to go through what we went through. So we do everything we can to make sure they don't go through it, but we don't realize we are where we are because of what we went through.
0: Exactly. And
1: so oftentimes, in my mind, it's not that we don't want to let them go through it; it's that if I had someone to guide me through it, it would have been a much less dangerous, a much less uh, severe process. So it's almost guiding them. It's it's like if you're a parent and you have a child and you never let your child fall or skin their knee. Mm-hmm. then they're not gonna learn how to get back up when they do skin their knee. You have to let them fall and skin their knee and get hurt in order for them to learn how to get back up from it. So when when you have a client who's struggling through this, it's not to not let them toe the line or go with it. It's you have to be there with them to help chaperone them through it and pull them back when they need to be pulled back. It's mm-hmm. you're teaching them how to toe the line and learning those skills And I just think it's, it's very difficult, but if you prevent someone from towing the line or even crossing the line, you're preventing them from learning. You're not giving them the opportunity to learn and grow. Uh, So it's a, it's a difficult line to walk. It's, but giving them the leeway to, yeah, I want you to go with this for like a a simple one is counting calories. Like Mm -hmm. there are many people for whom calorie counting is not going to be a good fit. Like there are many people for whom it won't be a good fit for some people. If I know it's not going to be a good fit for someone for like six months, it doesn't mean I won't have them do it for 48 hours, Mm -hmm. right? I'll get them to do it just for a small amount of time. And then I pull them back and I'll say, what did we learn from that? And how do we go forward without needing to do this every day, every meal, all of that stuff, right? If I know they need to have a little bit of this knowledge, let's dive into it, pull you right back out of it cool. You towed the line. We're going to bring you back. I'm not going to say, yeah, you have to meticulously count your calories now for the next six months straight. That would be a really bad idea. But i I'd say, Hey, we've got a timer on. I set my clock timer for 48 hours. We're going to count everything for 48 hours and then pull you right back. You're not going to get the scale. You're not going to do any of this shit, but I want you to count your calories for 48 hours so we can get a really good idea of what's happening. Cool. So you can help them toe the line. You can take them there and then pull them right back. So they don't necessarily have to go through as severe of an issue as we went through, but they did mm-hmm. learn enough to be able to say, okay, now I can extrapolate a little bit and have a, a better understanding of what's going on.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and it's also one of those things where the skills that you pick up when when you're there and the amount of. Like when we're, when we're talking about the nutritional pendulum and we're coming from the fuck it side, a lot of times we haven't even established a baseline of consistency. Yes. And so it's important to focus more on that when those skills aren't there yet. It's like, yeah. okay, I wouldn't say if you're super experienced in nutrition and you're having trouble with being too restrictive to, um, be more restrictive. But <laughs> if you don't have those baseline habits set up, then we have to consistency in establishing those habits is priority number 1. And then we look at, okay, let's back up a little bit and think about how we can make this more balanced. Yeah. And, you know, vice versa for starting to include more balance and and not being so restrictive. So 100%
1: one thing that I'll do with clients who are overly restrictive and they count, they count their fucking spinach and their onions and their mushrooms, which like, that was me 15 years ago coming off yeah. of wrestling disordered eating. But like, I didn't have someone to guide me through it. So I had to struggle for years until luckily I was able to come out of it. But now if I have that person, I could be like, Hey, listen, listen number one, I'm gonna have a conversation. I'm like, do you want to be this meticulous with the nutrition forever? And every time the answer is no, they don't want to be doing this. This is a feeling that they feel like they have to, or else they're going to get fat. And so I'm like, okay, cool. So here's what we're going to do. You know, that one day isn't going to ruin your progress. So right now you're counting your calories for every single calorie, seven days a week, 365 days a year. What we're going to do is every Monday, you're not going to count your calories just on Monday. For the mm-hmm. next month, for four weeks, every Monday, you don't count, but then Tuesday through Sunday, you do. And then we do that for one month. Then the next month, we make it Monday, Tuesday. Then the following month, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So at the end of seven months, they get to a point where they're no longer counting their calories, but it starts off with that one day. We toe the line so they don't go too far. And oftentimes they eat the same foods they normally would. And it's like, it's just on, in in regular portions, they eat the normal diet. They just don't weigh and measure. They don't count it. And after, after seven months, it's a slow, steady process. Now they don't have to count anymore, or maybe, right. maybe they'll count one or two days a week just like to make them feel comfortable. But the other day is five days a week. Now they're more like, okay, I don't need to count anymore. It's yeah. you get them to toe the line a little bit so that you can then chaperone them along the process to a point where like, okay, I feel comfortable now, which yeah. I think it's a happy medium of, you don't have to go through all of the restriction and disordered stuff that I went through. In order to get to this point. But you do have to push outside your comfort zone. And that's where I'm going to be here just to like watch your behavior and your thoughts and what's going on to try and lead you in the right direction, keep you in this bubble while still not preventing you from allowing to go over the line.
0: Yes, I, I feel like one of the most common and important things that I do, though, is truly looking at the thought patterns and recognizing, okay, we're, blowing this out of proportion. We're very all or nothing here. Let's, let's back that up and realize, okay, your habits that you are consistent with when you are tracking, those can exist without you tracking them. What if you just didn't track them (laughs) and you're still doing all these things?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's so funny. Like, especially nowadays, I feel like in this, um, entrepreneurial fad where everyone wants to be an entrepreneur and like, you got to have all this data. It was funny. I, there's a guy I, I spoke at a, at a seminar in Arizona a couple of weeks ago. And one of the guys who was there, he reached out. He's like, Hey, listen, I live in Dallas as well. I'd like to go to, to go to coffee. I was like, yeah, we'll go to coffee. So I went to get coffee this past weekend on Saturday. And he was asking me about all of this data that I have on my company, all this data, backend data, all this stuff. And I told him, I was like, bro, I have no fucking clue. <laughs> like, I don't have any data at all. I was like, I have a team of two other people like my an assistant and assistant coach and it's me and like the th- it's so funny like i feel like um i hate it when personal trainers and nutritionists call themselves entrepreneurs i hate it it's <laughs> like just cuz you have a big social media audience or you run your like that's you're not an entrepreneur you're a personal trainer you're your nutritionist right,
0: like, right. <laughs> yeah
1: and we did this to help people we we got into this industry to help people like an entrepreneur like you're m- multiple businesses, like you're. Right, you're,
0: you're not a business mogul. Yeah, no. you're like yeah.
1: <laughs> you own a fitness business, and like that's it. It's all you do. You're not an entrepreneur. And I feel like when you put that label on it, like you're an entrepreneur, well, then like oh, I've got to track all this data, get all this shit. And I think people often, when they get into fitness, they do the same thing. Like I'm a, I'm a competitor. I'm a fitness person. It's, no, yeah. it's like you got a couple kids you want to be healthy. You're working out. We don't need to meticulously track every single fucking thing. God forbid. Like you don't track that meal, whatever. Like it's okay. It's fine. Relax. Keep going.
0: You're debilitated by the data at a certain point. And it's like, okay, if you're not tracking it, is it really going to adjust your behavior? And if that's the case, then like, that's an issue. Yes. What are you doing when we're not tracking and just to track it should not be the reason that you're doing it.
1: Correct. I completely agree. A hundred percent.
0: I uh, personally, that was, I am getting a lot out of the entrepreneurial slash like coaching mindset because you, as a coach who's on social media and like trying to, you know, build a following and get active leads and blah, blah, blah. You're pushed to consider yourself an entrepreneur and buy all these business courses and like do all this stuff. And it's, I literally feel like a light switch just went off on my mind because it's like, I don't, I'm here to be a dietitian. Like I'm here yeah. to be a nutrition coach. I'm not an entrepreneur. Like
1: yeah. no.
0: I can do a great job with my business being who I want to be. And it doesn't have to, if I don't identify with that hat, then I don't have to wear it.
1: <laughs> Correct. That I've always found for me personally, anytime I, try and take the entrepreneur hat and put that hat on. And I focus more on like getting leads and Mm -hmm. and conversions. I get more anxiety. I enjoy my job less and my business does more poorly. But when I just focus on, and I know this is going to be a crazy thing to say, but when I just focus on being a good coach (laughs) and helping people, my anxiety goes down, the enjoyment of what I do goes up and my business does better. Every time. If I try and put on this fucking hat of entrepreneur leads, da da, da, da da. Like I fucking hate that. I don't like pitching. I don't like selling. I just like coaching. Yes. And I understand, like, yes, making money isn't a bad thing. Like, I, I am a huge fan of capitalism. I understand there are major issues with it, but I'm a huge fan of capitalism. But on well,
0: good people, having money can do good things. That's great.
1: A hundred percent but when for me at least when my goal is make more money instead of being a better coach everything goes to shit when i focus is yes. be a better coach everything blossoms everything it's it's just much better that way
0: yeah yes i could not agree with that more so uh, a little topic segue i know that you are i it's still a new dad yes. Yes. congratulations thank you. thank you so much <laughs> i uh, People will know by the time this is out in the world, but I am also I'm 15 weeks pregnant Oh, currently.
1: that's so <laughs> exciting! That is so exciting. In, in Hebrew, we say tovah, which means uh, all in good time. It's uh, oh. all in good time. It's uh, Jews. We we're very superstitious, so we don't we don't say congratulations yet. We just say all in good time. So bishahatovah. It's very exciting.
0: I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much. But I'm you know my husband and I are looking ahead to how our lives are going to look, how we can continue to prioritize our health with adding this huge element to our lives. So I wanted to ask you what you expected and you know the main thing that you expected that did come to fruition. And then the biggest thing that was unexpected that you have dealt with in so far as continuing to prioritize your physical health.
1: So there's a lot that I could say and i i have to say um number one this is only my experience okay like this is not everybody's experience i i no i don't shouldn't have to say that but i do yeah. um and I'll, uh, there's a lot that i could say and i'm i'm obsessed with my daughter and my wife like i'm obsessed that just like it's all i think about it's all i care about like my heart is just like explode all the time um and i knew i wanted to be a father my whole life like ever since i was a kid i wanted to be a dad the thing that surprised me the most was I knew logically that the mother is – it requires more of the mother, not just the pregnancy, obviously, but immediately post-pregnancy. It requires Mm -hmm. more. It was surprising how much more. Like, it was – even like, so I'm so blessed. I can work from home. I can, you know, I can feed my daughter or bottle feed her when needed and all of that. And like, so that was like, I was like, Hey, listen, I'm going to take the 1am feed so that you can try and get some sleep. So and like I'm, I'm up late anyway. So I'll stay, I'll stay up late. I'll do the Mm 1am feed. Um, but even then it's like, And I know, you know, there are different thoughts on breastfeeding and all this stuff, but my wife was pumping because like, if she didn't pump, then like her boobs were going to be super fucking full. It was like a whole, I didn't know any of this shit.
0: Oh, I know. i just, there's not to, yeah. The physical changes alone are mind blowing,
1: but. But even so, if I would take the, the 1am feed early on, like she would still have to wake up and pump and like, then I could get some sleep. Like she. It was, it's so much more intense on the mother. It it just is just naturally because the baby requires you, the baby does not require me or your husband, not required, um, but your child requires you. So there's inherently more stress, physical, mental, emotional, um, the way that my doctor put it, so I can count on one hand how many times I've seen my wife cry pre-birth of our daughter. Like we've been dating for, we, we've been married for over a year now, but dating for over five years. I can count on one hand how many times I saw her cry prior to that. After the birth, she was crying all the time, like yeah. out of nowhere. And it wasn't because she was sad. She would just start crying. And I was like, what the f-? I was like, my immediate response was like, I need to fix it. What's going on? But like, I was like, what's yeah. going on? She's like, I don't know. And I was like, what do you mean you don't know? Like, I don't. So our sp- we spoke to our doctor and, and the doctor said, listen, right before birth, your serotonin is at like an all time high. And immediately after birth, it has a massive cliff drop off. And so like you're- when people say your hormones are all over the place, like literally they're mm-hmm. all over the place, not to mention s- unbelievably sleep deprived, super, like we were scared all the time. I and mean, we still are they're like, is she a breathing? Is she like, is everything okay? Like it's, it's just insane. So, th- I mean, the thing that surprised me the most was how intense it really was, especially for my wife. The thing for me that was the, I mean, the thing that was most surprising for me, like like, I'm not surprised how much I love this girl. Like, I'm not surprised. I a lot of, are you surprised that like, no. Like, I I've been wanting this my whole life. And it's like my heart is exploding with love every moment. The the best way that someone said it was, your heart now lives outside of your body, which I think is very true. Mm-hmm. Um but the I think one of the things for me that is maybe surprising is how consistent I've been with my training. Like for the first five, six weeks, I was working out around like between 10 PM and 12 AM. Just like, that was the only time I was able to get my workouts in and I still fucking did it. Now to be fair, I have to be fair. It's different for me because my job revolves around this. And a lot of what I do is built around fitness, right? It's my job. So I want to set an example for people. I very much think it might be different if my job was not fitness and I was just a random dude at home with a child, it would be much easier for me to be like, ah, fuck it. I won't work out. But because mm-hmm. I am the face of my fitness brand, I think there is more pressure on me, which might help motivate me to do it. Yeah. Um, if I'm being very honest, like logically thinking, why might I have been super consistent, but yeah, I mean, getting that in and getting those workouts in, I, I, I didn't stop once. Like I've been more consistent now than ever. And my wife has been crushing it. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that answered your question. I know. When yeah, I Yeah, but...
0: no, it did. Um, I, and, you know, we're just thinking ahead. I do wonder how my like motivation is going to feel because I feel like I'm similarly, you know, I feel like it is my job to exemplify what I talk about and yeah. practice what I preach. And so uh, I'm wondering if that is going to help me. <laughs> Yeah. be more consistent, or if it's going to feel like a weight around my neck, I'm not really
1: sure. Probably both. Probably yeah. both. Like it's probably might help you be consistent, but it also might cause you to be really hard on yourself as yeah. well and be like, I should be further along. And it was, it worked out well in terms of, I started a mini cut right after my wife gave birth. And so like she, yes, similar.
0: I was, I've literally directed all of my clients to go <laughs> watch your stories because, and I've. I am going to do one when it's time, Yeah, you know, after all of things <laughs> settle down <laughs> yeah. and my body is in a place to do so. Um, but I'm really excited to uh, show it's, that process too, because it's so helpful to show people the scale fluctuation. Yeah.
1: It, and, it helped my and, wife a lot too. Like my, it helped my wife. Cause she was, you know, doing it around the same time and she'd be like, oh, the scale hasn't gone down in three days. And I'd be like, did you see my story today? Yeah. and she and she'd be like <laughs> like it was so and she's like yeah yeah so, so I was like it's and so that was helpful it was it was helpful for her cuz my wife has never struggled with her weight uh she never had to lose weight and and it's funny because when i first started when she first when we started dating more seriously she saw what i was doing in my content all of that she has like literally the healthiest relationship with food of anybody I've ever seen. Like she doesn't think about it. It's not like on her mind when, That's you know, so
0: amazing. Well, how did, and not to be too personal, yeah. she would not want you, but how did she grow up with her parents exemplifying nutrition and food? Or was it just
1: honestly something I think that
0: wasn't talked about or?
1: I think this was a luck of the draw type situation. It was like her parents, I don't think had a great, they, they weren't like, uh, they were actually overly strict in terms of like, you can't have any sugar. You can't have any of this, like super okay. strict. And I've worked with many clients who, when that happens then they go the other way. And then like, it ends up being like a slingshot where it's like, no, no, yes. no, no, no. <laughs> and for whatever reason, like, I think a lot of it is also temperament and just personality. My wife is like the most calm, just like, duh, like relax. So anything, like she, any, whatever life throws at her, she's just like, it's okay. Like we have this joke where anything, anything that happens, like bad news, good, whatever it is, any, like we, we just always say like, it's not a big deal. Like, it's not yeah. a big deal. It's like, and we'll like, ah, oh, it's not a big deal. Like anything that happens could be like terrible news. Mm-hmm. And some people might hear it and they'd be like, wow, like, why are you saying that? And that terrible news, but like, it's not a big deal. Like, we'll figure it out. Like, I think that's just how she is. So for whatever reason, she's really able to stay in that middle ground. And, uh, she just has like the best relationship with food ever, where if she wants something, she'll eat it. But as soon as she doesn't want it anymore, she's like, I don't want it anymore. And like, it's, it's been very interesting to watch her. Now she gained like about 40, 45 pounds at the pregnancy. And I think the first, for the first time in her life, she was very uncomfortable in her body and it was very, uh, difficult for her mentally, but she just, yeah. Yeah, you know, she started like keeping a little bit more track of what she was eating, and she, now she's lost like forty fucking pounds. And she's like, "Great, I feel awesome." It's like she's she's like the most picture perfect example of just like trying to establish a healthy relationship with food.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just going about it sustainably, and yeah, through my journey, you know, I came from a place of not feeling very comfortable or confident in my body. Ended up being. Super strict with my nutrition. I went like full throttle paleo, and you know, lost like thirty pounds. Finally, got to the point of feeling comfortable in my body, and then you know, that's the point where I was like at the edge of the Dunning Kruger effect. Where I was like, "Oh, I fucking know it all. I'm gonna tell everyone to go paleo," and like went off the ledge when I went back to school to be a dietitian and was like, "Oh shit, I know." Nothing. Um, so I've like worked my way then back to sustainability and including all of the macronutrients in my diet. You know, I'm not scared to eat bread or whatever else, but it's been really interesting to get to this point in pregnancy where I'm feeling those same like body image thoughts that I haven't had in literal years. And so it was like, I truly was convinced that I was, So far past it, like so immune to feeling uncomfortable in my body that I could be happy in my body if I was 15 pounds heavier. No, it's fucking hard. It's really (laughs) really hard. (laughs) And I I cried the other night. I was like, I love my body. I love what it's doing for me. I love what it's doing for this baby. But like, I miss how I felt, you know, just three months ago. Yeah. And uh, it's like, I'm not gonna, you know, it's gonna be a year at least before I can even consider being back to that point. And it's like, okay, like, this is the time where the rubber hits the road. And it's like, how are you gonna handle this? How are you going to improve those thought processes? And make sure that you truly are still approaching the process from a place of self-respect, even if I don't love what I see in the mirror, like my body is going through something that is going to produce a miracle. And yes. that is amazing and deserves respect. And so
1: 100%.
0: just like you were kind of talking about in the beginning, where going through something gives you the empathy that you didn't even know you were lacking.
1: Yeah, And
0: I'm really excited to be able to go through this and see what other moms go through, because the majority of my clients Our moms, yes, and I didn't even have that element of knowledge before this point. This is my first baby, so I am excited for just the growth, the exponential growth that I know that this is going to produce.
1: What I love about what you just did, hope, is a lot. But one of the things is you didn't pretend to (laughs) to like. I think you said what you said is my body is going to produce this miracle, and that deserves respect, not only respect from the perspective of, of like of what incredible thing it's going to do, but it deserves honesty, honesty. Mm. And I think one of the reasons there's so many body image issues is because there would be people out there who might be going through something like this and they think, okay, well, I have to say to everybody publicly, I have to say, I love how I look and I have no issues whatsoever. And I'm just like the happiest I've ever been. They feel like they have to say that. So then they say, yeah. and then people think, well, something must be wrong with me because I don't feel that way. I think for you to say, listen, I'm missing how I felt three months ago, while understanding what a miracle it is, what a blessing it is, all of this amazing, while respecting what how extraordinary your body is that it's doing this. It's also still okay to be honest and say, I would feel more comfortable if I wasn't this way. But mm-hmm. obviously, like this is what I want and this is like what we're gonna go through. I it's okay to not feel 100% confident. It's okay to have those moments. Like to pretend like that doesn't happen doesn't help you. It doesn't help anyone who's watching or listening to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Being able to be open and honest and say, yeah, I'm not as comfortable as I was. But okay, like in a year, I'll have the baby. Hopefully baby's like healthy, happy, strong, all of that. And then when I'm in that place, I'll be able to lose the weight and that'll be fine.
0: Yeah, yes. Well, and one of the non-negotiable pillars of who I am and what I want to present is authenticity, but also having realistic expectations. And that's like the cornerstone of how I coach. And if you aren't honest, then you can't expect people to then have realistic expectations of what they're going to go through. And that's just shooting everyone in the foot.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's funny. I, uh, I run a program for coaches to teach coaches how to be better coaches. And, and there was a coach who asked a question, I think it was two or three days ago. Basically they were saying when someone applies for my online coaching and they say something like, Hey, I want to lose like 50 pounds in the next six months. And they don't have 50 pounds to lose in the next six months, Mm -hmm. which most people don't. But he's like, he was asking, he's like, should I correct them? Because I feel like if I correct them, then they're not going to want to sign on for coaching with me. And I said, let's look at the situation here. Imagine you don't correct them. And imagine they sign on for coaching with you, thinking 50 pounds in six months is realistic. Now, let's say they, quote unquote, only lose four or five pounds in that first month. They think that's a failure because you didn't correct them and let them know that their original goal was unrealistic. And when in reality, losing four pounds in that first month is extraordinary. And if they keep going, like they're going to make amazing progress. So I was like, and and ironically, obviously if you say, Hey, you're a fucking idiot, you're not going to lose that much. Then yeah, Yeah. they might not plan (laughs) on for coaching. But if, right. you, if wrong you say, way to go about it, right yeah. information,
0: wrong presentation.
1: <laughs> yeah, if you say, "Hey, listen, I love the motivation. This is great. I do want to be realistic with you and say that fifty pounds in six months is, is probably too much. A more realistic amount might be between like twenty five and thirty five pounds over six months. That would be more realistic based on where you are. But if that sounds good to you and you'd like to continue working together, then let's make it happen." that person is going to be a way better client and you're going to set them up for way better success because you have established a realistic rate of progress as opposed to just trying to give them what you think they want to hear. It's a very dangerous road to go down.
0: Yeah, well, and like the desperation of seeking clients where it's you take anybody who comes your way and it's like, this is a partnership. And if you're not here to do the work and (laughs) the work honestly is mostly introspective, And I can't do that for you. So I can be a guide for you. I can be here to educate you where you're lacking and encourage you when we all hit those inevitable times of feeling low motivation, being frustrated with our rate of progress, all those things. But if you can't like internally call yourself out on your bullshit and be like, "Okay, this is the habit that I want to change and it's going to feel hard. And it's going to be hard, but I can, I can still do it. Like it has to, it's a symbiotic relationship. It's not me doing all the work. Yeah. And so it will be a failure. The partnership is a failure. If both people aren't there to put in the work.
1: Agreed. A hundred percent.
0: Okay. To wrap things up, I'm going to bring us back to the pendulum. And okay. I want to know where you would tell someone to start if, we are on the fuck it end and we are having trouble with establishing consistency because Mm. I think that's where most people are and where most people come to me. We are lacking consistency. How do we begin in that journey of establishing those consistent nutrition habits so that we can get to the point where those are so second nature that we can begin dialing back to look for that point of balance.
1: So this is a great question. I agree with you completely. Most people just struggle with consistency in all aspects of their life, but especially oftentimes with nutrition and and fitness in general. I think one of the hardest parts about nutrition over everything is that you always have to eat no matter what, like if you struggle with food, uh, either on like the fuck it end or the over-restrictive end, like you've always got to eat. Whereas like- Multiple
0: times a day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Like it's always there. So like, if that's your trigger in some way, like you've got to face it every day, multiple times a day so it's yeah. much more difficult. Now what I'm going to say is it might sound a little bit counterintuitive but I've I'll walk you through my process as a coach to to coming to the point where I'm at right now. For most goals nutrition is like the primary thing that needs to be taken care of right? So nutrition is usually, I think the first thing that needs to be addressed, Um, especially when it's around weight loss. But for many aspects, just you have to do it multiple times a day. I think food has arguably the greatest impact on your health and life overall. So we, we know that nutrition is the most important, but not, but because of that, I always used to try and tackle nutrition first. I was like, okay, let's try and figure out your nutrition habits first. While there was a decent success rate, I also found that it wasn't as high of a success rate as I wanted. So I had to try some other things. And what I realized was this, if someone didn't get physical activity in, in the day, they were far less likely to stick to their nutrition. Oftentimes, because if they didn't get their workout in or any physical activity in their mind, they think, well, I ruined it. I missed my progress isn't going to happen. So why bother with the nutrition? Even though we know that's a terrible train of thought and doesn't logically make sense. If they Mm -hmm. don't get their workout in, don't get their steps in, whatever, like they're not going to feel as good. So they often don't do well with their nutrition. So I started probably about four or five years ago, instead of, Hey, let's go for nutrition first. I was like, let's go for walking first. Let's like make this your first habit, right? I don't care if it's a five minute walk. I don't care if it's, Hey, you're just going to go on a walk around your house, your apartment complex something. Let's just go on. That has to be the first thing. It's also, it's relatively easy to do that compared to apple versus donut is a very hard choice. Like there's a lot going on, but on a walk, it's not the decision of something not tasty versus something very tasty. It's the decision of, am I just going to move or not? And movement is relatively easy for most people, not to mention we know that even from a five-minute walk, you get serious like physiological benefits all the way Absolutely. down to a cellular level. Your endorphins increase. You feel better. You've accomplished something. I want to go for the lowest hanging fruit, and once that uh, is accomplished, people are much more likely to actually make the better nutritional choices because now it's "quote unquote" worth it to them. So yeah. for yeah. me, the first thing I attack is steps. It's just let's get, let's get you walking. If it's someone who is very sedentary and they're only getting like 500 to a 1,000 steps a day. I'm like, cool, let's just get it to maybe 1,500 steps a day or something like that. If it's someone who's getting like a little bit closer to the more active side, maybe 3,000, 4,000 steps, cool, let's up it to 4,500, 5,000 steps, whatever it is. But that for me is the number one. And then it's been so cool just to watch. Oftentimes they'll say, really, that you only want me to focus on steps. I'm like, just for the first week, let's just focus on steps. And without me giving them any nutrition guidelines or anything to do, They start eating more fruits and vegetables. They start drinking more water. They start having more protein without me saying, this is what you have to hit. All of a sudden, they're just like, they're walking more and they're like, okay, all right, I can do this. I can do this. So it sounds weird and it's almost like it's a roundabout way, but I found that actually has a much higher success rate and also will lead to a more sustainable habit stacking of of habits that you want to follow. And like, If I could get someone to wake up and immediately go for a walk every day, that's a huge fucking win.
0: Yeah. Yes. Well, and it sets that chain reaction of feeling like you've accomplished something already, and you don't want to lose that feeling yeah. by then doing things that are going to be counterproductive to that effort. I love that, and I love the simplicity and achievability of it because if it's not achievable, <laughs> then how how can we expect people to be able to follow the advice? Yeah. So, yeah.
1: And I, I've always said if if the result, if you get a certain level of results from an unsustainable method, then those results are inherently short-term. If whatever you're doing to get your results is unsustainable long-term, then the results you get from that method will not last. It has to be something you can do forever. It has to.
0: They'll be almost just as short-lived as (laughs) the method that it took you to get there. I see this all the time with detoxes and Uh. all the diet shit where it's like, my coworker, she came in and she said she lost 13 pounds over the weekend. I'm like, do not listen to your coworker. I need you to put blinders on right now. The little earmuffs over your ears. We do not listen to people who do <laughs> detoxes and, you know, do whatever else over the weekend, because I promise you the next week, they are not going to be whistling the same tune. <laughs> exactly.
1: That's exactly right.
0: I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you sitting down and chatting with me, it has been so wonderful. And I think that people listening are going to be able to take so much applicable information from what you said and go out and, and start doing these things, or at least feel more encouraged with wherever they are on their journey. So thank you so much. And is today, the first day of Hanukkah.
1: Yesterday was, so tonight's the second night. So thank you. Okay. Okay. So (laughs)
0: Happy Hanukkah and happy holidays and I just again can't tell you how much I appreciate you Jordan thank you
1: Thank you hope I think uh I think you're a great host you're're you're fantastic. I wouldn't say that if I didn't mean it I do a lot of thank podcasts <laughs> I know that we're recording this before your podcast is actually live but I'm very excited to see how well your podcast does and if you ever uh, if you ever need any help you know how to reach out.
0: Thank you so much I and I appreciate the kind words. But wait, (laughs) before you go, I'd love it if you'd share this episode with a friend who needs it. And to make sure we stay connected, find me on social media at HopeWell underscore health. Or for more information about my nutrition coaching services, check out my website, HopeWellHealth.online. And always remember, you are smart, capable, and talented. You have what it takes. I'm just here to educate and encourage you along the way. Catch you next time.